Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. And welcome back to Script Shop. Hi there, everybody. I'm Jack Crumley. And I'm Allison West. And this is a show where we have screenwriters on and talk about movies and their ideas and the things that they've written and the things that they're passionate about. And how passionate we are about them. All those things. Welcome to Script Shop. Uh, we're going to be talking today with a uh, gentleman by the name of Gabriel Lang. He has actually adapted a script from a book that he bought uh, years ago called Something Missing. That's also the name of his screenplay. It's a 95-page narrative feature. It's the story of a thief who gets very involved in his so-called victims' lives. Clients, his as clients. he calls yes. them. Yeah, victims didn't seem like the victims right word. Victims is a little sinister. Yeah, uh, and he ends up sort of turning into a bit of a guardian angel and his life changes as he lets these people into his life and uh that's generally speaking there's your little there's your little something missing teaser uh we do are sponsored again this show uh today's episode sponsored by deep in the heart film festival that takes place in waco texas from march 22nd through the 25th in 2018 um, Deep in the Heart is a heartwarming, heartbreaking, heart-stopping film festival dedicated to educate, entertain, and enlighten the Central Te- Texas community through independent cinema. Oh, I get to say Hippodrome Theater again. Yeah, you do. The festival involves four days of incredible independent films in the beautiful 104-year-old Waco Hippodrome Theater. Good job, Jack Welcome Crumley. to the Hippodrome. <laughs> Filmmakers are treated to a full screening schedule, filmmaker outings, meet and greets, and fantastic parties in the Hippodrome. And if you weren't listening prior to this episode, I do want to let you know that the Deep in the Heart Film Festival was my introduction into the independent film world. Mm -hmm. They selected a film that I did, um, screened it, premiered it, gave me some awards, and I had an incredible time meeting filmmakers, talking about really, really interesting and engaging work. And just kind of running rampant on the town of Waco, Texas for a few days. Nice. So if you are interested in getting your work out there, you should look them up online, deepintheheartff.com. And we will be doing a giveaway involving said film festival a little bit later in the show. So you're going to want to stick around for that. Once again, we're going to give a big thank you to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for providing us with uh, facilities and ways that we can actually do this show. Extremely, extremely grateful for that. Thank you very much. Um, You can look up... Script Shop, the podcast online with all of the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, things that you want. You can always shoot us an email. We are looking for great work, and we know that you have it. So send it to us at scriptshopthepodcast at gmail.com. Let us get a read and get you in here. Yes, please. We'd love to have you. And speaking of having people, we have our guest our, our, our man of the hour for the show today. This is Gabriel Lang. Are we sticking with Gabriel? Are we going to be a little more informal about it with Gabe? How fancy do you want to be today? Yeah. Just call me Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> Gabe it is. All right. Well, Gabe, thank you for being on the show. We appreciate it. Uh, thanks for having me. So you are a local dude. We we know you. We, we, we need know to get Gabe. that out of the yeah. way. Yeah, we know Gabe. We've, we've been friends for a few years, and Gabe, you've written the script, and it just worked out very well that we were able to have you on the show for it. 
Absolutely, yeah, and I really appreciate it. So, thank mm-hmm. you. Our pleasure. Always fun to hang out with I you some more. Mm-hmm. I know you won't be biased either. So. <laughs> no, no, this is going to be a very objective. No, we're going to give you a hard time for <laughs> sure. I'm waiting for. We're it. putting the scripture the meat grinder. <laughs> All right, good, good. <laughs> so, Gabe, tell us a little bit about your life in Cincinnati. Uh, so, I work in film and TV production here, and I was born and raised here. I started college in New Orleans, and then transferred to Loyola Marymount, Los Angeles, where. I lived for about seven and a half years and worked in the entertainment industry out there. I started working for a talent manager who represented actors. And I'd always, during college, wanted to start writing, but I was always just focusing on, you know, acting and directing and stuff like that. But when I got out and I had a regular job and I really couldn't do the whole acting thing, I just started writing. And um, and working for the talent manager, I got to read hundreds of scripts, mm, TV yeah. pilots, um, TV episodes, uh, feature films, and that's really... That really like helped me grow and learn. Really, that's the best way to learn is just by reading as many things as you can, like good ones, bad ones. Sometimes you learn more from the bad ones than you do from reading the good ones. Would you guys talk about these scripts, or were you just kind of developing the sense of structure on your own? Um, what with my boss or with other people? Anyone? Or, Who did you have in your life at that time? Well, actually, um, I also started writing with a friend of mine. We actually finished a feature. Um, I wrote a couple of my own with my boss. We would read this, a lot of scripts for her clients and she has a couple of, um, a couple of actors that are sort of well-known. And, uh, so we'd have to read the things for them and see if they were right for it or if we wanted to actually pursue trying to get this person in this film. And, so, and you were sort of doing quality control if it was even worthwhile in the first place? Yes. No, yeah. yeah. So I would read something and, and you know, I'd be like, this is garbage. I really don't think you should even bother him with it. And she would say, okay, I trust you, you know? So, but if it was really good, then she would actually give it a look and, you know. How did you get there. hooked up with her? If there's anybody listening who's interested in doing that kind of thing? It was just from knowing somebody. So I knew her previous assistant and she was moving on to um, do something else, I guess. And um, ended up working for, at the time, the talent manager name was Deb. She uh, partnered up with some other guys who had, you know, dot-com money that they, and they wanted to be in the entertainment industry. So she partnered up with them. So I really started out working for all of them. And then she decided to leave them and go out just back on her own. And she took me with her. Mm -hmm. And then that's how, and I worked with her for a total of about four and a half years. Oh, cool. So, yeah, I learned a lot. We're still friends. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of trying, you know, because she was from the old school William Morris days. She was actually the first female head of the talent department at William Morris. That's awesome. So... You know, there was uh, there was a lot of yelling at each other, a lot of screaming, you know, but there were a lot of good times, too. So I, mean, I learned a absolute. Yeah. I mean, you found your legs during that time, right? Yeah. So and, and also during that time, you know, found out like, OK, I don't really want to be on this side of the business. And through, you know, the writing that I started doing on my own, I ended up leaving uh, Los Angeles and working on films. And I kind of, I guess, left L.A. and. June of 2007, and then I ended up back in Cincinnati for about 11 months. I was trying to raise money for a movie that I wrote that I wanted to shoot down in New Orleans. Hmm. And then I went down to New Orleans trying to get the money. All the investors here in Cincinnati were saying, you know, if you're doing it in New Orleans, you should go down there and try and get it. So I went down there. Then the economy went in the tank, and anybody that had money were just like, no, we're not giving any money to anybody. Ah, so, that sucks. It's uh, bad timing. Yeah, so I was down there for about a year, and then came back here to Cincinnati, um, for about two and a half years because I then partnered up with some old friends and ended up being part owner of a bar. So I kind of got out of the entertainment industry for a little while, then worked on a movie here in town, 
and decided to sell, sell out of the bar because that was my true passion. And so mm-hmm. then I moved to New York, ended up working in commercials, was there for about two and a half years. And I've been back here doing that same work back here and continuing to write like the whole time. So, and I kind of went, I didn't only do screenwriting. There were little stretches during these periods where, you know, I was writing short stories. You know, I went on a kick for about six months where I was only writing short stories. And then when I was in New York, I was writing uh, commercial stuff. And uh, writing was the through line. Like you you were just writing something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I, uh, but I I mean, I was working in production and doing a lot of driving and things like that and, you know, art department work, but I continued to want to, to write. Eventually I was hoping to get a job like at an agency, at an ad agency or, you know, some sort of large company writing promos or something like that. Uh, So I would just write spec things and send those stuff out. You would just do that to yourself. Mm -hmm. Just keep practicing. Yeah. You sound very diligent about being a writer. Well, yes. And I'm really hard on myself because I feel like I still don't do it enough uh, because there are a whole lot of other distractions that I have in my life that are a lot of fun. And it's, it's hard to, it's really hard (laughs) to just sit down, you know, and just do it, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's actually how this script came about was I was working on another feature of my own that was original and I was kind of getting stuck with it. I was kind of in a rut. I didn't know where it was going. And I remembered I had this book and I just said, you know what, I'm going to sit down and just knock this thing out. So, I mean, we might as well jump into how that happened. Yes, this this is, this is unique for, for the show so far. Uh, adapting, taking somebody else as opposed to, I mean, you're still creating, but this is still based on work that somebody else did. This is the book, Something Missing by... Matthew Dix. Matthew Dix. And how did you how, how'd you find this book? I was, uh, it was the winter of 2010, and I was at Joseph Beth Booksellers trying to find, um, trying to find a book for a friend that I was buying, and I just happened to be in this one aisle, and I saw the cover of it, and it was really funny, mm-hmm. and... Um, What's it look like? It's got a thief on it, and he's stealing the S from the missing. Oh, that's cute. I know. That's why in the in the uh, we have a copy of it here in studio now. I'm showcasing it, Vanna White style, mm-hmm. for the whole team. Oh yes, the S in missing is missing, mm-hmm. and, and I kind of stole that on the cover of my script. There, I also have an S is yeah. missing in the word missing. So I kind of stole that from, I mean, I didn't steal it, I just, you know, used it. Yeah, sure. I, so, have, the, I have the rights to it, so, I'm allowed, so I can do whatever I want. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I saw it and I read the back of it and I thought, hmm, this is kind of, sounds kind of interesting. So I took it home and a few weeks later, I picked it up and started reading it. And uh, to be honest, the first third of the book is, you know, maybe even a little bit more, is a lot of character stuff, a lot of details. And as a novel, a lot of novels need you know, you really have to set that story up. And as a yeah. novel, you can go that far and long. Yeah, you're but, building the world. Yeah, but, you know, when it comes to a, a script, you know, you kind of got to really crunch that You got to push it into action. Yeah. You got to show why this person is the way they are yeah. and what they do. Really quick. And so I, I pushed through that whole beginning part of the book, and then I'm really glad I did because once I got into really the meat of the story, that's where it really hooked me. And, um, and yeah, so I had this book for... Um, I guess what, six years, I think. And uh, I took it with me when I moved to New York. And well, after I finished reading, I thought, wow, this would make a really good movie at some point. I wonder, somebody has to be making this at some point. So I just held on to the book and, um, you know, brought it with me when I moved to New York, thought maybe I might do it there. But then when I moved back here in the, um, spring of last year of 2016, I was trying to decide if I wanted to move back to New York or back to L.A. I was kind of on the fence or if I was going to stay here. And I, at the time, had just sat down and just started knocking this script out. 
And Did just, you have the rights at that time? No, I didn't. And a friend of mine, a friend of mine who's an agent who, like, this is kind of jumping ahead, but a friend of mine who's an agent out in L.A., I told him I had re- adapted the script and I'm in the process of getting the rights. Can you help me? Do you know the certain person that represents this guy? It's, I'm kind of having problems. And he, he called me back and he was like, Gabe, that's the wrong way to do it. And he's like, you got to get the rights first and then you can adapt it. And I was like, well, I know. I was like, but I just did it just to see if I could do it. And it turned out pretty good. Um, so now I'm going for it. And if anything, if I can't get the rights, at least I have a really nice sample, you know? Yeah. And he said, okay. And, um, but anyway, so I started knocking it out and I really like flew through it. I mean, the first draft I had done in like three and a half weeks. Cause I was just working like every night, you know, after, you know, working during the day or, um, you know, being out doing whatever I would, I was adamant about getting in at least an hour or two every night of working on this. Yeah. Cause you were fired up about it. Yeah. And yeah, I was very excited. And so I, Got it done. I thought it turned out pretty well. So I decided, you know, and the book takes place in Connecticut, but I wrote it to take place in Cincinnati. It's all locations that I know or grew up with. The script is very Cincinnati specific. Mm -hmm. Even down to street names and the way that roads turn this way or that way. Mm -hmm. Those are all real places. We know. It's awesome. (laughs) We're very Cincinnati positive here. Was that a, a function of just knowing where you were writing about or was it to maybe help with whatever filming location maybe coming down the road? Um, I think both. You know, um, and I mean, taking place in Connecticut, I also, I thought that, you know, it might be harder to do it there. And I knew here in Ohio, the tax credits that are better mm-hmm. they have here. So, so it's, it's a very specific business choice then to set it in Cincinnati. It was, it was specifically business. And also that I knew those things so well that it was really easy for me to just put them down because they were right there in my head. Mm-hmm. So like, I mean, Madeira takes place. There's, you know, Madeira is in the book. That's where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, and you know, a lot of like Oakleys in the book. I was mm-hmm. living in Oakley at the time when I was writing it, you know. By so. the way, how is this Laura character supposed to be working in Madeira but keeps going to lunch in Hyde Park Square? That's a very Cincinnati-specific question, but that <laughs> seems like a lot of travel time for it's Laura. Not, it's not very far. It's, yeah. ten, it's 10 minutes. I'm just saying, man, you only have like an hour lunch. That's She's meeting her guy down <laughs> in Hyde Park Square when I she's mean, already in Madeira. I mean, but, you know, it's not it's, it's, it's not like she's a doctor, you know. It's not That's like true. <laughs> That's true. We so, can, so she's just, she's stealing time from on the clock here then. Yeah. Maybe an hour and a half lunch, two hours. Who knows? Listen, she, works she, for, she works for the city of Madeira. She's a government worker. Yeah. Right? Listen. <laughs> well, and there's it, the papers pile up. You can get to them later on. It's not like you got a person on the slab. Anyway, we can so move on. From tell there. us a little bit more about what the process of adapting the book was. So you wrote it. You tried to get in touch with somebody. What did you do technically, legally? Okay. So um, a year prior to me actually sitting down and doing it, I had contacted the author's agent um, and I asked if the rights were available. And she said they were. And I said, okay, well, let me get back in touch with you at some point. Um, I might want to do something with this. And she said, okay, great. Just let me know. And this was all via email. And, um, and then shortly after that, I was approached by some friends of mine from college about producing a movie down in New Orleans. So kind of got sidetracked and ended up spending the months of November and December of 2015 down in New Orleans. And then um, that took a lot of it. So it kind of got sidetracked from this. But then once I had it finished, I a year later, I um, sent an email to his agent, and she said, well, you need to contact his book-to-film agent. I'm just his publishing agent. She said. And so I said... Great distinction there. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, and I looked up, she told me who his book-to-film agent was, and uh, we, I looked her up, and she had a lot of A-list clients, and I was thinking, oh, no, I'm screwed. <laughs> this is going to cost, gonna cost a lot. And yeah. so, um, uh, and also, I spoke to his... Um, 
publishing agent on the phone as well. And I kind of just got a little bit of information about it. You know, I was thinking like, okay, has this been optioned before? What, you know, what's kind of the backstory of it? And she let me know that it had been optioned like twice before. And I think she kind of like slipped up and let me know how much they had, they had paid for it. Do you mind sharing with us? You don't have to tell us how much you paid, but maybe how much they paid for it. She said the previous ones, I think she said the previous one, uh, they had like a, a two or three year option. She couldn't remember. And, um that they paid like $1,500 for it for that mm-hmm. amount of time. And I was like, okay, that's doable. Yeah. You know, I can yeah. I can work with this. So uh, she told me to get in touch with his book-to-film agent, and I called her office and left a message. And then several days later, she got back to me, and I you know, answered the phone. I had no idea who was calling. And her assistant said, you know, I have blah, blah, blah for you on the phone. I said, okay. And so we started talking. She said, so you're interested in something missing? I said, yes. Um you know, what, how do we go about this? What's the next step? And she goes, well, I mean, let's just see how interested you are. Why don't you make an offer? And I was like, uh, like right now over the phone yeah. right here. And she said, yeah, or you can just have your, um, attorney or agent or whoever, you know, give me a call and I can negotiate directly with them. I was like, okay, let me, yeah. let me get back to you. I'll call, I'll let me call, call my attorney. Mm-hmm. And then you like hang up the phone and do a spin and then call her right back. And you're like, hi, this is Gabling's attorney here. <laughs> well, it's very <laughs> important negotiate. to, we, we have to have that moment where we sit at the table and then fold up a piece of paper and slide it across. That's how offers are made. <laughs> I know what the rules are. What is this over the phone stuff? <laughs> well, so, I actually have an attorney out in L.A. Oh. Yeah, I know that helps also. <laughs> you know, not me. So. Big shot. <laughs> so, well, and it's kind of funny. My old boss, Deb, had hooked me up with um, this uh, this law firm. And um, when we met with them, because there was a couple of projects that I was trying to get off the ground when I lived out in L.A. I was working for her. And so I needed an attorney for it. She hooked me up with this guy. And he said, well, hey, we have this new young attorney who's about your age. Um, her name's Jen. And he said, so I'll put you two together and you guys can work on this. And so we did, uh, that, I mean, nothing came of it, but they did the deal for me and they did it on spec. So they weren't charging me anything. They were just going to take 10% 10 of whatever, you know, whatever I made, they were going to get 10%. Like, that's awesome. And then she did another deal for me a couple years later when between the time I was in Cincinnati, between LA and new Orleans, I had a, um, a life rights to a book. That guy wanted to write a book, but he needed somebody to write it for him. So I did that whole proposal. That sounds sweet. Yeah. So That's the, so cool. And nothing ever happened with that as well. But it's but, still work for you to get and another yeah, it creative was, exercise. Yeah, it was really cool. It was it was a really fun learning process. And oddly, that one turned out it didn't happen because the guy whose life story it was had a bunch of offers to go on Oprah. Hmm. And so when I had the whole proposal at an agency, they said, okay, this, nothing's going to happen with this because it's kind of old news. It's about six months to a year old. They're like, we need him to go on like a national show and talk about it, like, like Oprah or something. And I was like, oddly enough, he's been turning Oprah down a bunch. But I told him <laughs> if, yeah. if, if, so I, I got on the Who phone. Who turns Oprah down? She has people he was cars. A, he was a really private guy and he. Yeah. He's a, a Sally of, Jesse Raphael yeah. fan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he made a lot of money. He didn't really need the money. He just wanted to get it. He actually mm-hmm. wanted to tell the story to help other people because of what he had gone through. And so um, I got on the phone with him. I was like, hey, you're going to have to go on Oprah now. And he said, well, I don't want to do it. I'm not. I, even though I had told him before, you might have to go on Oprah. And he said, okay. So then when I called him back again, like a month later and said, okay, now you're gonna have to go on Oprah. Mm-hmm. And he said, yeah, I really don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I was like, well, okay, are you prepared for this whole thing to just go away and die? And he was like, yeah, I really don't need the money. Oh, so never mind. And I was yeah. just kind of uh, crushed. And I was like, all right, I'm off to New Orleans. Yeah. And so yeah. 
and, personal uh, choices. Yep. Personal choices yep. of artists. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I went went down to New Orleans then. But anyway, so um, I hadn't spoken to Jen in year, probably three or four years. And I call her office and her assistant says, I'll have, I told her assistant what was going on. And he said, I'll have her get back to you. And um, so she called me. I emailed the agent and told her, my attorney will be reaching out to you in the next couple of days. And she said, okay. Next day, Jen calls me back, says, what's going on? You know, I kind of gave her a little rundown of it, but I was like, hey, let's catch up, you know, because we actually hung out a couple of times when I lived out in L.A. or when I was back visiting. And she said, uh, I told her what I'd been doing the past several years. And then I was like, well, what about you? And she said, well, um, the past couple of years, I got married. I'm like, oh, great. Congratulations. She's like, awesome. Made partner. And I was like, wow. oh, no, like, oh, this is really going to cost like, It's going to get more oh, expensive yeah, yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> so she said, um, and she, she says, uh, okay, all right, Gabe, just so you know, okay, the rights for the book are probably going to cost you about this much. And we don't work on spec anymore. It just kills us, like of the course. time that we put on it. So um, I'm going to need a retainer. And she said, normally just somebody off the street is going to cost this much. But for you, since you're an existing client, it's just going to cost this much. She's like, are you prepared to pay that? And I said, yeah. I had no idea where I was going to get the money, you know, because yeah, it's sure. kind of expensive. But right. I just said, you know, you just answer yes. You figure it out later. I feel you. He's, uh, listeners, he's so right. If you're working on a project, just find a way to say yes. You'll figure it all out after that. I promise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I ended up, uh, somebody lent me the money and, I, you know, got it to her and they started working on it. So then she reached out to the, the agent and um, this process should have taken about, you know, maybe a month or two at most. It ended up taking about six months. Yeah, okay. Because... Um, yeah, this feels like it's been drawn out for you. Yeah, so this was all in June of 2016 when this started to go down, when she got in touch with the agent and the agent finally got back to her. I was actually in the middle of nowhere, Canada, on vacation, trying to figure out and trying to get, like, you know, email and, you know, texting things going down. And so, you know, it's like trying to tell her, yeah, pull the trigger on that. So... But uh, it ended up the agent then just wouldn't get back to my attorney. It would be weeks. We would hear nothing. And so and then finally and and throughout this whole time, I was in touch with the author of the book. And he's a really nice guy. He's like an elementary school teacher who happens to have six published novels, you know, super sweet, just a really good person and really excited about, you know, that I was interested in it because this was his last property that hadn't that was still available to be optioned. So yeah. he was looking forward to something happening with it. And um, so I was in touch with him, like, why isn't your agent getting back? Do you not want to do this? And he said, no, I have no idea why she's not getting back Too busy back partying. To you. <laughs> well, that's what we kind of thought eventually. It was, uh, is she in rehab or she does not care about this uh, client? Oh, wow. So I, we had, I had no idea and uh, neither did he. And then eventually, you know, she was kind of screwing up the negotiation my attorney was completely confused about everything, how she was going oh, wow. about this. And um, and so then eventually in November of, of last year, I was uh, back in New Jersey doing uh, some work on commercials and helping out a friend move into a new house. And I asked my attorney, I asked Jen, I said, hey, is it unethical for me to just call him up and give him the offer directly because I'm pretty sure his agent hasn't given him this final offer. And she said, uh, no, just copy me on the email and I'm sure it'll be fine. So I emailed him and said, Hey, if you, um, have you gotten the, the final thing from your agent? I'm back East. If you just want to like grab dinner we can get this wrapped up. So she hadn't sent it to him. 
And he said, no, yeah, absolutely, let's do this. So I drove from uh, South Orange, New Jersey to Hartford, Connecticut um, the day before Thanksgiving, went to his house, had pizza with him and his wife and his two kids who are <laughs> his, awesome. his, his seven-year-old daughter and four-year-old son and just had a really good time. So it took me five and a half hours to get there because it's the day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. So the yeah. traffic was a nightmare. And you're going to Connecticut, which is where everybody either already is yes. or where they're already heading <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, it was, it was <laughs> so long and I'm just sitting there in the car just when is this going to end? Yeah. You're like, I and, just have to push through this. Just push through this. Just push through this. Yep. So I drove for like five and a half hours to get there, hung out at his house with him for three hours. We got the deal signed. I wrote him a check. Uh, his daughter gave me a frozen sticker and put it on my oh. on my shirt. Aww. His kids were so sweet. They were like the nicest people. It was, it was, I couldn't have asked for a better like group of people to hang out with. And um, so I took that sticker and I put it on the signed copy of the contract. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's what I, and that's what I emailed to, uh, to Jen out in LA. And, um, yeah, so he signed it. I spent three hours, three hours at his house and then drove back to New Jersey and it took two hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> so I was literally <laughs> in the car back. for, I was in the car for almost eight hours to spend three hours with him and get this done. Man, so well, it was dedication. Like I needed to get this. Exactly. It's been six months. Well, yeah, it really so. represents how passionate you are about this story too. And what writers will do to make sure that their stories get out and get done and get pushed to the world, which is also what we're committed to here at Script Shop. So oh. speaking of what, this story was why it spoke to you let's let's get into this uh let's get into the script a little bit yeah let's talk about the log line for the show so we've got a log line here martin railsback is no ordinary thief not only is he a little ocd and a bit of a germaphobe he mostly acquires groceries and household items with the occasional diamond earring or silver ser- serving tray to sell on ebay even though Martin is a bit of a loner, he finds himself getting involved in some of his clients' lives and improving them for the better, and in turn, helping him become a better person. Gabe, can you just set, we've talked a little bit about the location, but tone setting year of this script before we read a selection from it? Sure. Um, well, but first I want to say I, I didn't specify in the logline. He calls them clients because he steals from the same people over and over again, okay. and they don't know they're being stolen from. Like, he has a specific type of people that he brings on his clients and they have no idea that there's somebody that's been breaking into their house for several years, you know, every, <laughs> every couple or few weeks, somebody's coming into your house and taking, you know, a roll of toilet paper or so, you know, some olive oil or, you know, two liter of Diet Coke. Yeah. Groceries. Um, gro- yeah. Groceries, household items. But then, yeah, occasionally he'll put his, uh, his eye on something that is much bigger, which he calls large, I believe he calls large scale, uh, objects. And he'll spend months researching if this piece is moved or not, and then he'll researching his clients, his clients, their like habits, he'll, he'll what take they a, do. Yeah, he'll take a picture of the item every day, like in the script that you know it opens up with. He's um, he ends up grabbing a, a second diamond earring because he had gotten the first one six months prior, and this one hadn't moved, hadn't moved in five and a half months. So uh, he felt it was safe to take that one too. Yeah, so, so they're not missing it. Yeah, so the like the woman wore them, you know, in the several years that. She was his client. She, you know, never, never really touched him. Only wore him once, I think, in that whole time. And so, when he took the first one, she just chalked up the fact that the one was missing to, oh, I lost this. I haven't hearing. worn it in forever. How yeah. how would I know? Yeah, and so that's why he, it wasn't moved again because she just chalked it up to, oh no, I lost it, and then he yeah. took it. Um. Anyway, sorry. Get back to the original question. Tone, what was it? The tone, tone? setting, uh, uh, locations. Okay, setting. Uh, like I said, the book takes place in Connecticut. I set it for Cincinnati for um, 
you know, business and personal reasons. I knew all the locations a lot better. I could picture them a lot better. Um, the tone, I think it's, um, I like to think of it as like a delightful little romp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm going to read the book too because I mean, it really comes through. It's, um, it's fun. But with heart. And that's, I think, what really spoke to me is like, you know, I think when I got to the end of the book, the final scene in the book was, um, it, it really, it was just so pure. And so, like, I don't know, it's like it kind of, like, makes me well up every time I kind of, like, think or talk about it. Mm-hmm. But just, like, the the relationship between these two people at the end, how— Lay out the character names for our listeners, too, okay, so, so Martin with us. Martin's the main character, and I, I don't want to give it away about the final scene, you know, of everything like that. But um, it's it's one of with one of his clients. And um, just, like, the fact that his life is now going to be changed and their life has changed, and but it's all for the better now. It's, it just, it really spoke to, I thought it was such a beautiful scene and like so beautifully written. I was About like, how oh they affect God. each other as yeah. people. And how they affect each other's lives and what they did for each other. Why do you think this means so much to you? You know, I don't know. It just a really, um, I don't know. I like, I like stories that, that have, you know, r- good messages and, uh, you know, I appreciate everything as long as it's good. You know, I don't have when people say, what's your favorite genre? I don't mm-hmm. have a specific genre, just as long as it's good. I'm with you on that. And so, uh, like, you know, I'll see a horror movie as long as it's good. I'm not a, you know, huge horror movie fan, but if it's a good movie, I'm, I'm going to watch it. Yeah. Uh, and with this, I don't know, it just kind of spoke to me, just that, like, th- this relationship that these two built without knowing that this relationship was really happening. built. Happening, yeah. And I don't know, It's I, I really can't put a finger on it. I just thought it was just so good and you know and really and and the way it ends too it's not wrapped up in this really pretty bow and you know oh everything you know blah it's kind of ends on like a little bit of a question mark Mm -hmm. and i really i really appreciate that especially there's one filmmaker lisa chodolenko who the ends of all of her films there's no there's no ending it just the movie just kind of goes away something is like a song Exactly. And so it leaves a little bit of a question to, you know, the reader or, you know, whoever will see this one day. Like, they're going to wonder what's going to happen. I mean, it's kind of, you kind of... It's optimistic. It's optimistic. It's yes. about the human experience. It's very yeah. optimistic. Yeah. And I think I think that's what I really get out. I guess, you know, a lot of times I'm, you know, can be kind of negative and cynical, but I think... I think deep down I'm a softie. You got a beating really, heart under there. I do. There's don't this worry. Cold, we won't tell the rest of the friends. Yeah, this cold black heart of mine. So, <laughs> well, let's read a bit, little bit of the script then. Okay. Um, in the selection that we have today, uh, Gabe is going to be playing Martin. I'm going to be playing Laura, and Jack is going to be reading our stage directions here. So, Jack, whenever you're ready. All right, we're going to begin with an interior of Duchess, the previously mentioned uh, bar in Hyde Park that uh, you. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, Frank's going to be the oh. server. Fra- um, our, our producer Frank is going to be making an appearance today. He'll That's be sharing right. my mic. Yo. <laughs> There's Frank playing our favorite roles on the show. He's going to be a server as we are in a restaurant. Okay. Thank yeah. you, Frank. I mean, I envision the server as female, but it's cool. Well, you yeah. got a time to do a voice, yeah. Frank. <laughs> Bad news. Time to adapt. Don't judge me. <laughs> and just for all our listeners, too, we try to keep gender um, true to a writer's perception. So uh, as much as we can, we don't flip genders on the show. In this case, we had no idea, so it's Frank. <laughs> yeah. I didn't specify, so. 
Interior Duchess, Martin and Laura are sitting across from each other at a table in the restaurant area. A charcuterie board of bread, cured meats, and cheese sits between them. Martin has a half-filled glass of wine while Laura takes the last sip of hers. There's a music cue of Lady You Shot Me by Harmar Superstar that begins to play over the speakers. Oh my god, I love this guy. Who? The song playing. It's Harmar Superstar. Have you heard of him? I haven't, but he sounds amazing. He's seriously amazing. Ironically, though, he looks like Ron Jeremy. Excuse me? Yeah, check this out. She reaches for her phone and pulls up images of Harmar Superstar. Seriously, Google him. You'll get it. I saw him playing Columbus a few months ago, and he signed an album for me after the show. That man knows how to entertain. Martin voiceover. After looking at the hilarious picture of this awesome singer, I learned Laura Burke, Burke is single, an avid collector of vinyl records, owned her house for three years, has a dog named Icky after running back for the Cincinnati Bengals. She has a degree in accounting from the University of Dayton with a minor in graphic design and has worked in the clerk's office for the past eight years, even though she's very creative and has aspirations in interior design. As much as I tried, though, she kept following the conversation to find out more about me. I still can't get over how cool your job is. A writer! That's so awesome! Technical and instruction manuals are not that cool. A server walks up to them. How's the food? Can I get you two some more wine? It's great, thanks. I'll have another glass. Do you want one? Martin can tell that she wants him to have another. Sure. Thanks. He takes a drink of his wine to catch up to her. I'll be right back. Without thinking, he offers some of his glass to Laura. Here, have some in case it takes a few minutes. She doesn't hesitate at all, taking a sip from his glass and then sets it between the two of them. He thought that she was going to pour some into her empty glass, but whatever. He oddly doesn't seem to mind. Thanks. So... You think you'll be writing instruction booklets in 15 years? I definitely can't see myself in that office the rest of my life. I mean, it pays well and the benefits are great, but I might go crazy if I'm in there forever. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess. I've always wanted to write more creatively, but I've just never taken a stab at it. The, the writing I do is easy and instructional. I, I don't have to be clear. I just have to be clear and concise. But say writing a novel, though, that, I mean, that would come from me. It might take more bravery than I have. I mean, I've. If I wasn't any good, I mean, that would be a tough thing to face. That sounds like a terrible reason to dodge a dream. But it's, it's true. Rejection is an ugly thing. Laura leans in and looks Martin directly in the eyes. Listen to me, Martin. I'm going to be honest. I could tell you not to worry. I could tell you whatever you put on the page will be great. But you're right. It might not be very good. I don't know you and don't know if you have any talent. But you don't strike me as a coward. So do me a favor. Even if we never speak again after tonight, which I hope isn't the case, go home tonight and start your novel. Write the first page and see where it takes you. Okay? Okay. I'm serious, Martin. Don't just say it. Do it. Start it tonight. Just one page, okay? Her passion inspires him to be more convincing. Okay. And scene. <laughs> I love that selection. It does a lot to characterize Martin. Um, yeah. We talk about him being a little bit of a germaphobe, sharing, and it also brings up voiceover, which we haven't touched on for the listeners yet. Talk about the voiceover part of it first. Okay, so, yeah, I was kind of stumped there. I'm like, ah, do I just say voice? So, yeah, you're cool. We should have made that a little more explicit. I had to say Otherwise, it's just it. you talking weird in the middle of this date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and <laughs> the way I kind of picture, you know, that scene when he's, when his voiceover is going in the scenes of two of them, it's, I just kind of picture like, you know, um, you know, camera on a dolly kind of just 
bananaing around them a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of slowly going back and forth, fading in and out. So romantic. Yeah, that's the you know it's the start of their romance, if you will. I mean, they had met before, but um, you know only briefly and by accident through his things that he's doing for his clients. Um, but the voiceover part, there is a lot of voiceover in the script, and I that was one of the things I had really a lot of trouble with going into the adaptation. I'm like, how do I show all, you know, how do I show, what do I show? How do I, what do I tell? Like, you know, how's this going to work out? And some people, they see, I, I will probably do another draft at some point where there is a little less voiceover and a little more action actually in the script. And kind of that's how I had it envisioned anyway. But, um, a lot of, some people have read it and say, I think it, there's a little too much voiceover in it. And my response to that is, uh, well, and, not to try and like toot my own horn saying that I'm as good as this person, but have you ever seen Goodfellas? There's a ton of voiceover. It's all voiceover. Yeah. Yeah. Casino, it's like all voiceover. Where it's appropriate, um, it's totally appropriate. And they, you know, a lot of people say they're like, you know, you know, show it, don't tell it. If you don't show it, tell it. And, you know, but you can't do both. And I'm like, well, actually you can. And it's just as long as you do it right. You know, you, a lot of, my old boss used to tell me there's no, there's no, really truly correct way to do something there's just you know the smart way and so uh there's no what you would say speaking about something else there's really no right or wrong way there's just a smart way about it well and, and in so, this too you lay a lot of voiceover over action yeah. in the, especially in the first half of the script there is voiceover but it's it's like an extra tool into its insight into what you're showing on screen. It's it's like the director's cut of this character's mind, which is why I think it's so effective. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So the and the book, there's so much expository stuff that I yeah. Is it written with like a voiceover narration in the actual book of him sort of walking through the process on things? Um. Yeah. I I, I think I, or it's either like an omniscient voice. Okay. Or, or you know that's you know a, like a just a narrator telling the story really Mm -hmm. i can't remember exactly i think so i haven't read the book in a really long time um uh but i i just figured you know this will be the easiest way to do it and just show just telling and showing the most important parts of the actual the story itself so because there was i mean i did cut a lot of things from the book that really go really really deep into the mind of the main character martin but they were it was just a little too a little too detailed okay. and the the script itself you're not get, like one of the another hard thing that i had dealing with it was the taking the first third of the book and scrunching it down into about 15 pages on the script sure and um so that was something i was kind of struggling with at first too but after i before I started, I reread the book again, and I thought, you know, okay, it's like this scene needs to be there, this scene needs to be there, and only and this one too. So you really get into it, and um, and then the action really starts to pick up. Jack, do you want to lay out some of those beats for us? Yeah, we need. Yeah, we're in the interest of time here. Uh, so Martin is a thief. He breaks into people's houses on a regular basis, steals little things here and there that he doesn't think that they will notice is missing. It stems from when he was eighteen. He got kicked out of the house and kind of had to break back in to get some Drano. Uh, so he's turned it into a career for himself because he's good at covering his tracks. As time goes on, he meets this woman named Laura uh, through a series of uh, him breaking into places and miscommunications. He, he takes more of an interest in people's lives. 
and wants to do little more subtle things to keep their lives on track. There's a bit of a guardian angel element to what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the trying to repair the relationship by telling the guy, sending the guy an anonymous letter. Hey, leave some flowers for your wife. Just trust me on this. You don't know me, but just do it. And also, the in the course of meeting this Laura woman, he's trying to avoid this Laura woman spoiling a surprise party for the people that he's breaking into the house of. So as he meets this Laura, he's starting to realize, okay, now my life's getting a little more chaotic. It's changing. I have to be honest about who I am if I want a relationship. And it's just, and but and but also knowing that he's such a creature of habit, and he's this is now this is chaos. He talks about how chaos breeds unpredict, unpredictability, and he doesn't. That that's not an environment that he thrives in. Unpredictability. He needs to know what to expect, and he's very used to that at this point. And anyway, so as things move on into Act Two, he ultimately realizes that there's uh, a more nefarious person out there. Another crook, or I guess another thief out on the circuit. Who is not just take little things here and there and get out. This person is a, a violent individual. Dangerous. And he's concerned about his client that he doesn't want to see these people get hurt. And uh, that ultimately leads into Martin a, having to reconnect with his estranged father, and B, having to make a choice about are you going to do something or are you going to just sort of let this thing happen to these innocent people? He becomes a quiet anti-hero mm-hmm. here as he does get involved with one of his clients who's interacting with this other dangerous crook, which leads us to the closing scene you were talking about. So gently with them really communicating about what they mean to each other and how that's really shaped who they are now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's cool. They, this is I, I'm not sure if this is on purpose or not, but and maybe it was just because the main characters. Are. One of the biggest vibes that I got out of this, and I mean this in the most complimentary way, is I got a very uh, John Cusack, gross point blank feeling out of this. Absolutely. I mean, if, yeah, if, if John Cusack were younger, he would. Yeah, he would definitely be at the top of the list for for this role. Yeah, you know when it came when it came down to it. Um, yeah, just a, a regular guy, you know. I mean, he describes himself, you know. I'm uh, he does more so in the book, and I don't think I do as much in the script. But you know, he describes himself as you know, he's handsome, but he's not so handsome that he's going to stick out and be noticed. You know, he's he's not a bad looking guy, but he's not a supermodel. You know, he he likes his weight because he's he believes that he's average. He wishes he was a quarter inch taller. Because then he, would be, then he would be <laughs> then he would be the exact average height of the American male and his weight, so he wouldn't stand out as much. Okay, and that's his thing. He just you know he wants to be as incognito as possible and have people just not notice him. Yeah, wrapped up in anonymity. Mm-hmm. And so I think just you know a sort of regular guy is really what he is, but he just happens to be borderline genius and has a few little quirks about him. Mm-hmm. And he, those quirks being things like the repetition he has or how he goes about his routine, latex gloves, booties on his shoes, mm-hmm. carefully documenting uh, what he takes and what it looks like prior to taking it, et cetera. And his inventory that he does in his garage, you know, when he gets home, pulls his car into his garage and he has a, like a office set up in his garage that he can take down very quickly. He has things and he has a computer set up where he, um, inventories the items that he took what the value is like basically how much money he saved and more of that's in in the book all those details but in that feels like a book sort of thing to yeah, have but in the in the script it's you know you i don't want to say you just brush over it but you see it like this is he's doing something very important it's very part of important his to him life. and and something that he does yeah every single day uh are you ocd like that not real i mean i'm tidy and I, no no like not one <laughs> actually not one bit now that i think about it, no i'm like 
You know, yeah, I you know, the, the more you fumper around on an answer, the more the answer is just yes. So, yeah, I think I think the the main maybe I I think I identified with this character so much is just because he thinks he's just absolutely average, and that's how I feel about myself. <laughs> like I'm the most average human being on mm. earth, you know. So, um, but he uh, but he's but he's really creative, and I think that's you know I think something about myself too. Like I do pride myself in being a slightly creative person. And I think that so I mean maybe I identified with this guy a little bit based on you know who he saw himself as yeah and maybe that's why and just the fact that he starts off as such a loner like in in the book he has one friend that he's been friends with his whole life but I don't it's he's kind of not necessary to keep the story moving in script form mm-hmm. so his friend's not in there um, but. Um, he the fact that you know he's a loner and he ends up you know there's that one event in in the book where he gets stuck in one of his clients' houses yeah. because of because of one of his little OCD tendencies he ends up getting stuck in there and behind like, a couch yeah, which right. is very fun oh my yeah that's one of my favorite scenes like mm-hmm. I had so much fun writing it and in the in the book it's the start of a chapter mm-hmm. basically and I'm like what the what's going on and then. Get into it. And it's oh wow, this okay. It's That's, a fun it gets surprise. Really good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it bring it's brings a lot to the table and it starts to go. That's when the book really starts to go fast. Yeah, it really starts to move because then you know he hears the woman say something when he's now hiding in the closet. You know, and that one thing just kind of all the fear that he had of getting caught and what he was going to do now with the rest of his life and that he you know or was he going to get in a fight and get arrested? What's going to happen? Um, it's that one thing that stands out. It's that little thing that she said, the way she says something like, I wish my husband would get me flowers again, you know? That she's just muttering to herself. Or she's on the phone with okay, a friend. Right, she's yeah. talking to a friend on the phone. And that's the one thing that stands out to him. It's like these little things. It's like that little thing that just flips him from being uh, this loner and completely out for himself, basically, to then suddenly, oh, I need, I, I should help this person being connected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then he promises himself, you know, I'll, once he fixes that, their issue, he promises himself, he'll never do it again. I'll never get involved in one of my clients lives. But then that promise lasts like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and you know, and then he, there's the surprise party thing that happens and he has to save that. And, uh, yeah. It's special it's how those little choices that we're given just as people and characters are given to, they really start to add up into to what your character is, um, who you might be morally in real life or how it makes you relate to everybody else in the world around you. Because now I just think about you, Gabe, going about in your everyday life and just considering all these little choices that you have day to day to day to day. You know, do you notice little things about people t- um Maybe not intentionally, but just kind of pick up on vibes, do you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I can see that in your writing then here, too. Oh. Well, and you kind of have to, as far as in terms of a day job goes, working at Dutch's like that, being able to read your customers when they're coming in, asking for wine. What, a lot. How many times you get people coming up to the bar saying, what, what, what do you think I should get? Yeah. And no. that means you have to read people. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, I can be, when I can be sarcastic with people, when yeah. I can be absolutely rude to people right. in a very charming way. <laughs> um, and it somehow works when, uh, when to back off or, you know, when to know that, you know, somebody's really sad. Like, that happened to me a couple mo- like a month or two ago, a couple months ago, there was, you know, uh, a couple. And then suddenly she was out in the patio by herself and crying. And uh, like, now's where this psychiatry bartending. Thing yeah. Comes in, well, right? you're involved so, now. Yeah. She, you know? and she, you know, was like, sit down, please. And I'm like, oh, 
God. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. I mean, she was very attractive, so it wasn't like it was I easier. was. Yeah, it was much that easier helps. to sit out. Actually, but. Uh, Martin, in your story, he takes interest in the women. He really likes helping out the dudes, but he's got three really defined instances of helping out women. Mm-hmm. And is that just written, you know, from your perspective, from the author's perspective, or is that anything you had to do intentionally? Um, I believe that that was how the book was. And I think one of the reasons too, I really got along with, um, with the author is because he and I are, I think are very like-minded people. And the, you know, the, I, I am a big proponent of, you know, women in the industry and, you know, women being able to direct and write more and having more, you know, cause you know, having such a boys club is so boring, you know, it's, it's the way it's, the way it's always been. And I like the fact that it's changing now. And I think, maybe subconsciously in this book, that's part of why I was really drawn to it because he does have, you know, the connection with, you know, his mother passes away when he's, when he's in his like late teens, early twenties. And so, you know, um, and that's one of the things too, I think I was really drawn to because he has to lie to this girl, Laura, you know, her father passed away when she was young and, you know, say in, it's in the book and in the script, you know, he said, this was the hardest time I've ever had to lie. Somebody was her. Like I wanted nothing more than to comfort her knowing what it's like to lose a parent, but I couldn't, you know? And so that for me was kind of like a, a little bit of like a heartbreaking thing about it was this, he has to lie. And I hate liars. <laughs> like I hate it when people lie, you know, just, it's like, why honesty is the best part. Just tell the truth. Like yeah, there's just no reason, it. like only lie unless you really, really, really have to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, I really, I think that really spoke to me as well. The fact that he was just kind of, you know, torn about that and what's he going to do. And the fact that he eventually, you know, the transformation that he goes through, I think that was, it's just, I think it's, it was ultimately when I read it, I think I thought it was just a great story. Mm-hmm. Like it was just a r- really unique, like I'd never read anything like this or thought of, could imagine anything like this. So I don't want to pigeonhole things and make you put things in one category versus another, but we talked about being a crunchy on the outside guy with a soft heart inside. After reading the script, I feel like this is a romance that's sort of wrapped up in like a crime uh, heist sort of element, like a, like a Reese cup with the with the <laughs> with the romance as the peanut butter middle, and then the the crime <laughs> the and heisty stuff is the, the chocolate <laughs> on the outside. I get yes, you could say. I mean, people have asked me, oh, what's the genre of it? And you say Reese cup. Yep, <laughs> yep. <laughs> there, Tootsie it. pop, delicious chocolate and peanut butter. <laughs> um, no, I say I, I like to say it's it's everything. I mean, there's a little bit, you know, there's a little bit of you know the thriller aspect to it. I mean, it's and it's all very brief, but there's one thing in. Um, you know, in the book that his dad says, you know, he's like, things can happen really fast. You yeah, know? right. It's, I mean, it's not, everything doesn't happen very fast, but some things it's, you know, you look one way and, oh, it just happened mm-hmm. on the other side, you know? So I think that um, it's got all of, it's got a bunch of elements of different genres that I really like, you know, like, yeah, there's the romance aspect to it, mm-hmm. um, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not like a rom-com. Right. You know, it's not one of those generic rom-coms that are, you know, it's like formulaic. It's very much different from that but it's just a connection between two people you know she um i can't remember if in the book if she was divorced or not or something but you know they he helps her out he's knowingly helping her out in a in kind of like a roundabout way kind of lying to her but doing the right thing and you know she has this connection to him just automatically i think that might have something to do with it but then you know there's the the bad, the bad guy that shows up, you know, that's adds kind of like a, kind of like a little bit of a, uh Oh, 
element to the story, you know, and there's the, you know, reconnecting with his father. So I like to think that it has, you know, and it's kind of got like some, a few really witty, dry, funny moments too in it, you know, sprinkled throughout. So it's like, it's, you know, and, uh, and there's, there's a little bit of like sad parts to it. So I, I just like to think of it encompasses everything. I don't. Heartwarming. Yes. Mm-hmm. Delightful romp. Delightful romp. <laughs> With heart. Yeah. I think that's, yeah, that, there's your there's your description right there. So Gabe, what kind of work are you doing right now in Cincinnati? What, what projects are you involved in or have recently been involved in? Okay, so um, I started a production company with a friend of mine here in town that I met when I moved back. She had done some work in unscripted television, so we created a travel show based on oh, cool. cocktails and the history of cocktails. What's it called? It's called Sipping History. Mm-hmm. And Molly Wellman is our host. Mm-hmm. Ah, local, yes. Local local celebrity. And she's delightful. She's wonderful. So we shot us as a reel for that. And we have it at various networks right now waiting to hear back. That's uh, awesome. Who's going to buy it, yeah. try and set it up. Because actually, really, I mean, I love writing. And I, when hopefully this show sells, you know, I'd be credited as a writer on it. Because I would be doing some writing, but a lot of it would mostly be coming from her. But, um, and traveling. So it's like two of my favorite things that I'd be able to do because yeah. I would go everywhere we need to go mm-hmm. for, uh, for this show. So we started, a, uh, Emily, my friend, Emily Jingle and I started a production company. It's called Important Holdings. You can go check out our website, hmm. www.importantholdings.com. Is that the best place for people to get a hold of you if they want to get in touch about mm-hmm. your work? Yep. Okay. Yeah. They can get a hold of me through that. Um, and, uh, there's just like a general get a hold of us, but my email address through the website or on it is uh, goodcop at importantholdings.com. <laughs> <laughs> em- Emily's is bad cop. I wish I could be as funny as you. That is just too great. <laughs> so we get, yeah, she and I get along really well. Um, and uh, good cop, bad cop. Yeah, <laughs> there's going to be a difference in the in who gets what in the inbox, right? And, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. They're going to you know somebody will send it. To, oh, the good cop, he'll definitely uh, say yes or do something uh, for right. me, and then all I'm just going to do is forward it right to Emily and That's be like, so you tell him no. <laughs> I just imagine people panicking trying to figure out which one. I don't know. So I'm going to send it this here, there, there. Uh. Yeah, it's like a re- <laughs> is this reverse psychology. I don't know what. To do. Um and uh, and she, I'm glad that we get along so well, and she wanted to team up with me because she is. Uh, way more experienced and her skill level as a producer is way up there. She's absolutely fantastic and really, really good at her job. Um, so we have that show that we're uh, trying to get off the ground. We also have a uh, documentary that we're working on right now about a race car driver in 1962 who was like the greatest race car driver for eight weeks. Uh, he was better than all of these guys that are in the hall of fame now, Parnelli Jones, um, who else? AJ Foyt, um, Herdebees, um, Johnny Rutherford. These guys are all really became really famous indie car drivers and race car drivers. And this guy was beating all of them for like eight weeks. Huh. But then he died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, there's got to be something. <laughs> he died. Um, so, <laughs> and then there's kind of because of him dying, something else happened. It's kind of crazy. Um, so, we're working on that as a, doc, a short a documentary. It's going to be about, you know, 45 minutes to an hour long documentary. And then, um, and then I'm going to adapt the her god Emily's godfather wrote a little novella about this guy. So then I'm going to adapt that into oh, cool. a feature format, and uh, we'll have a, a feature length screenplay about that as well. And we'll kind of use the documentary as like a little pitch piece for that. And then we have something missing. Emily uh, read it just a couple of months ago, and um, she hates working on movies. Absolutely hates it. But after she read my after she read the script, she goes. I really like this. She's like, I really like it. She's like, it's really good, Gabe. And she goes, 
and we could do it for really cheap. Mm-hmm. Like this is not this does not need to be an expensive movie. And I was like, so are you on board? She's like, yeah. <laughs> She's like, yes. She's like, as yeah. long she yeah, as yeah. long as I don't have to do any real work. I was like, don't worry about it. You'll just be the producer that sits there and just tells people. Yeah, because this to is do. your baby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, uh, so yeah, so we have this, we have, you know, a few others and then we're also constantly meeting and we, we like to call them team building exercises when she and I goes, go to a bar go drinking, or, or a wine sure. tasting. Yeah, yeah. Those are nice. We got, and her husband comes along, you know, and he this. helps us out a lot too. So, um, he's in the industry as well. He's a gaffer. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we talk about all sorts of other things we're going to try and keep going with. Hey, let us come with you next time. Yeah. <laughs> By all means. Yeah. We'd love to have you. Well, and also keep us in mind once, uh, the script for this, uh, writer for this, uh, car driver. Uh, gets hammered out. Okay, yeah. keep us in the loop, please. Cool. We love talking about stories. Mm-hmm. It'll be a, it'll be a few months on that. You one, take probably. your time. It okay. always takes a while. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I love talking to you more in depth about your work because this isn't the kind of stuff we talk about in a bar all the time. That's true. You know. So oh, yeah. Thanks for coming in. Well, thank you for having me. I really this is it's it's been an absolute wonderful time. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Aww. All the feels. That was that was very sincere, Kate. That was sweet. You don't get that from me very much. <laughs> I know. That's why I really started this stuff. I had to point that out. You guys want to kiss or something? Maybe later. Maybe later. <laughs> so you can walk me to the car. Yeah, that's right. So we're doing a giveaway. Uh, and that's important for y'all out there to be aware of. Deep in the Heart is sponsoring a giveaway for today's show. If you like and share today's episode with the hashtag script shop giveaway, script shop giveaway, and tag at D-I-T-H-F-F or at script shop the podcast for every entry into a drawing, one winner selected at random is going to get a festival waiver for submission into Deep in the Heart Film Festival. Please keep in mind, I this just just know submitting. It's heartbreaking, but if you submit, just because you're if if you win, just because you submit doesn't mean you're actually going to get into the festival. But it it, it 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 avoids having to pay fees to, yeah, to get in. Right, it's a start. You know, it's going to help you make a connection to those guys, and then you'll be able to talk about your work just a little bit more. The deadline to enter said things is November fifteenth, midnight Eastern. Get that uh, in there before then. Again, that's the hashtag Script Shop Giveaway, and tag uh, at d i t h f f or at Script Shop the Podcast. You guys can tell we're having so much fun with this. We love your work, and we want to love you too. So, if you have a story or you know somebody who has a story, please use your most convincing, encouraging voice mm-hmm. to get them to send that in at scriptshopthepodcast at gmail.com. Get that work to us, scriptshopthepodcast at gmail.com. And I just want to, I want to like you. She wants to love you. I, I just like to like you. I'm more of a slow ramp up sort of situation. But so in Jack terms. Jack takes a little bit of time. In terms of likes, uh, please uh, find us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Find us on Instagram. Script Shop. Uh, like us. Follow us. Leave us a comment uh, on iTunes. If you're listening, please subscribe. Um, leave us a little note on there with a review. A rating. a rating. Thumbs up. Subscribe. All those good things. Please. Uh, good thoughts to you and yours. And uh, we will. Uh, Until next week, that's a wrap. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Script Shop was created by Allison West, hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley, produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.